Well, good morning, Lighthouse. I hope you're ready for a strong message from the Lord this morning. And I pray for receptive hearts, and I hope the seed will take root. First of all, I'd like to thank the eldership for entrusting me with sharing this word this morning. It's both an honor and a privilege in sharing God's word with his people. So before we start, I'd just like to summarize what we've been going through. We've been going through the um, identity series. We've had four weeks of it. And for those, especially those that are new here, we've all been given identity books. We're on page 12, or so, should I say page 13, 12. Page 12 is your notes. Take scrupulous notes today, please. And in week one, Frank spoke about the identity gap the difference between what God thinks of us and what we think of ourselves. And somewhere in between is reality. And we want the reality to overlap. Week two, Bruce spoke about how we are his children and that he is our father and how we grow in our relationship with our father. Week three, Lisa spoke very, very well about servanthood and how we can improve in our efficiency as being servants of the Lord our God. Week four, Bruce surprised us and told us every one of you here are saints and how we should deal with our mistakes. And today's message, please write that down at the top of your page, is entitled, I am a citizen of heaven and he is my king. Life on earth is finite. We are born of human parents and give or take a few years, we live to, to 100 if we're lucky, and then we die. So how do I prepare my life for eternity as a citizen of heaven? If we put our faith in Christ, if we have accepted him as our Lord and our Savior, if we have died to self and are born again, then we are adopted as sons and daughters of the great I Am the Lord God, our Father. We are adopted into his family. I'm gonna say that again. We are adopted into his family. I have now got a new identity. I am now his servant, and naturally, he is my master. Last week, Bruce said that we are saints, that we are forgiven, we are made holy through Christ who saved us. My new identity tells me that now I have a new king. And his name, he has made us citizens of heaven. So how is that so? Now before I answer that question, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. There's a reason for that, I promise you. I was born and raised on a tobacco farm in the Zomba Valley in Malawi, a very fertile part of the world very secluded, uh, very, how can I say, uh, peaceful time of our lives. Then my father moved us to the then Rhodesia. We spent five years there. And finally, we came here to South Africa, where we obviously currently are. Now, the reason I tell you this story is I'm going to ask you, what citizenship do I hold? Well, naturally, I'm a naturalized... I'm a naturalized African, and because I was born 
of parents with Greek heritage, I have access to Greek citizenship as well. So I have dual citizenship. The Bible tells us, sorry, the reason I have these two citizenships is there's a distinct advantage of having Greek citizenship. It's because I don't have to sit in queues waiting for a visa all day. I'm going to tell you a little story about a triplet year the children and I had a couple of years ago when we went to the United States. We obviously left on our South African passports and we arrived in the United States using our Greek and Italian passports for obvious reasons because we didn't have to show any visas and we went straight through. Now all went well until we had to board an internal flight going from Washington to Orlando in Florida. Uh, we went through the usual security checks with those very austere TSA officials. They st practically strip you. Once we had gotten through, the kids and I were waiting for Lucia. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited. And she just wasn't coming through. Now what had happened is Lucia, in her wisdom, had shown had shown them her Italian passport, which she thought was normal. But what had happened is that the tickets were made in Lacos. Her Italian passport was in Aduk, which was her maiden name. So naturally, the TSA officials wouldn't let her through. She was reluctant to show her South African passport, because then they would ask her for a visa. So she was in a bit of a dilemma. So what was she going to do? So I naturally, we waited, and we waited until I eventually had to go through, and I went up to her, and she says, I said, what's going on? She says, no, they won't let me through because of the change in name. I said, show them your South African passport, which she eventually did. Cut a long story short, they let her through. So even with dual citizenship, no matter what passport you hold, there are always problems. The Bible tells us that an earthly citizenship pales into insignificance compared to our spiritual citizenship. This citizenship trumps any earthly citizenship. Now Paul tells us in Philippians 3 verse 18, for as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is, is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring forth everything under his control will transform, and here's a promise, our lowly bodies so that they will be his glorious body. I can't wait for that. Certainly better than what I've got at the moment. What a powerful illustration of the world we're living in at the moment. Unlike many, who have, like me, who have two earthly citizenships, here Paul says there are two spiritual kingdoms and that you can only hold citizenship in one or the other. The one kingdom is ruled by the devil, 
ruin it. And he rejects Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. Verse 18 and 19 says, they live as enemies of the cross. Their mind is set on earthly things. Success on this earth is all about me. It's all about how well I look, what I have, how much I have. By accepting Jesus Christ, we know about the other kingdom, which is ruled by the King of Kings. This King of Kings is willing and actually did sacrifice his body to gain you and I. In accepting Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we no longer are slaves to the former kingdom and the life we led. So I'm going to look at three things that will help us understand what it means to be citizens of heaven, this amazing kingdom of light. So the first point is, if you don't mind, Dougie, this world is not my home. How can that be? This world is not my home. Throughout the book of Hebrews, we as readers are challenged to remain faithful to Jesus, who is greater than the, all the heroes of faith who have gone before us. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say that there is one thing that sets them all apart. Now, what is that? It's that they all knew that this world was not their home. How did they know that? Let's unpack this a little. Can I have the next slide, please? In Hebrews 11, verse 13 to 16, it says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive things that were promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their God, and he has prepared a city for them. I just want to highlight two phrases, foreigners and strangers on earth, and a better country. Our earthly home is not our true home. We've established that, because we have a better home, an abiding one in heaven. Can I have the next slide, please? Hebrews 10, verse 34 says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Confirmation once again. As citizens of heaven, we should have an inner gut feeling in our soul that no, ma no matter what this world has to offer, whether good or bad, it cannot satisfy us. It can't satisfy us. You tell me one person that is satisfied outside of the Lord Jesus Christ at the moment. So, the truth is that the, world, that the best the world can offer falls far short of anything heaven is. We live and work as foreigners in a secular environment, as children of God. How can we do this? And I found a very, very apt illustration in the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel charts the lives and careers of Daniel and three other young men who were able to flourish in the Babylonian civilization in their civil service. 
Their service gives a great example of how to work in a godly way. And listen to this. In the context where God is not acknowledged or followed. Does that sound familiar? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story tells a story of four friends that cooperated with their employers without compromise. It's a bit of a a trick on words here. How do you not compromise and still satisfy the world? They refused to conform, but they threw themselves wholeheartedly into their new situation and career. Just because we're in this world doesn't mean we have to distance ourselves from it. We can still contribute in a godly way. They allowed their names to be changed to reflect that they were now part of the Babylonian administration. They resolved not to compromise their beliefs or defile themselves. They never allowed their commitments to their new careers to trump their higher allegiance to God. Wow. How easy it is to crumble to pressure, to peer pressure in the work environment. And yet, these guys, under the threat of death, didn't compromise their position as children of God. They never allowed their commitment to their new careers to trump their higher allegiance to God. Daniel recognized that God alone, he recognized that God alone is the source of all power and wisdom and that the best the world can offer falls far short of anything that heaven is. It's an incredible thing to think how close we are to our heavenly home. Just think about that. We are separated by a mere breath. Most of us are trying to avoid death. It's not a bad thing. But have you ever thought that the one thing that we most fear, death, is an instantaneous promotion to our heavenly home? We shouldn't fear death in any form. Now I'm going to quote Mother Teresa when she said, Anyone is capable of going to heaven. Heaven is our home. People ask me about death and whether I look forward to it. And I answer, of course. Because I'm going home. Dying is not the end. It's just the beginning. Death is a continuation of life. This is the meaning of eternal life. She had a true understanding of who she was in Christ. She didn't fear death. Like Daniel and his companions of old, we who proclaim Jesus as our Lord and Savior are not citizens of earth fighting our way through life. We are primarily citizens of heaven with access to all of our king's infinite supply of love, kindness, peace, and grace. That's it. That's a mind shift change. We are heavenly citizens trying to influence earth. We're not earthly citizens trying to waddle along on the earth. In other words, I'm not a citizen of earth trying to climb a ladder to get to God. I'm a citizen of heaven 
bringing our God's kingdom onto this earth. That's also why at times we also feel like foreigners and strangers. This is because we are not living in our country of citizenship. Makes sense, doesn't it? Point two, as a citizen of heaven, I am protected and there are distinct benefits. I knew you were waiting for this one, weren't you? The key verse here, uh, next one, Dougie. No, okay, sorry. The key verse here is written by Paul in Philippians 3 verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. The apostle Paul acquired citizenship at birth because he was born to a Jewish Roman citizen of Tarsus in Silesia. Quite a mouthful. Why is this so significant? Citizenship in ancient Rome was a privileged political and legal status afforded to free individuals with respect to laws, property, and governance at the time. In Acts 22, the Jews of Jerusalem had heard about Paul's mission to the Gentiles, and they weren't happy chappies. They started throwing their toys out the cot, and they started to yell at Paul to be taken away. Acts 22, in Acts 22, verse 22, it says, away with this fellow from earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And they were shouting and throwing all their cloaks and and flinging dust into the air. A Roman tribune had to step in, and he ordered Paul to be taken to the barracks to be interrogated and flogged. A Roman tribune at the time was quite, Quite the manure. He was responsible for quite a few things. And what he said went. When Paul was bound and stretched out to be whipped, he suddenly reveals that, oh, sorry, boss, I'm a Roman citizen. If it was me, I'd have revealed that a lot earlier. (laughs) Paul lived in a time when the Roman Empire was at its most powerful. Only a small number of the population living within the Roman Empire were actually citizens. The rest of them were actually slaves from conquered lands and they were kept in check by the, at, the, at, the, at that time, a very powerful Roman army. They were kept in check. Being a Roman citizen gave you tremendous prestige and status and most importantly of all, protection, which is exactly what Paul was asking for. You were either born into citizenship, like Paul, or if you had a bit of marula, you bought your citizenship like the Tribune. Paul was one of the privileged few. Now back to the story in Acts 22. Paul says to the centurion standing next to him, is it lawful for you to flog a man who's a Roman citizen and uncondemned? The centurion heard this and he immediately went to the tribune and said, what are you about to do? This man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune approached Paul and asked him, are you a Roman citizen? Paul says, yeah, I am. The tribune became alarmed. Why? Because he had feared for his life now. He had threatened a Roman citizen. 
Because as a Roman citizen, Paul had the full protection and benefit of being one. A benefit of his earthly citizenship. Now when Paul became a follower of Jesus Christ, and written practically most of the New Testament, he didn't mention that he was a Roman citizen. But he did proclaim that he was a heavenly citizen in Philippians 3. As a Roman citizen, Paul had access to all the benefits and protection of Rome. But as a citizen of heaven, Paul knew he had access to infinitely more protection and benefits in the kingdom. Paul became a Roman citizen by birth. You and I became citizens of heaven. How? How did we become citizens of heaven? By a new birth what Jesus called being born again. As such, we receive all the protection and benefits that come with being a citizen of heaven. So what does that look like? Can I ask you to put the next slide up, Dougie? Our king says to us in Hebrews 13 verse 5, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That's a promise. Next slide, Dougie. He says that he will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you'll find refuge. That's protection. Psalm 91 verse 4. And then in Matthew 6 verse 11 he says, he provides my daily bread. He actually provides my daily bread. So stop worrying. He has blessed me with heavenly realms, with every spiritual blessing in Christ. That's Ephesians 1 verse 3. And the list goes on. Now, whatever we think of the United States, which at the moment is the most powerful nation on this planet, you have to, you have to hold it up to them. When anything goes wrong in any conflict around the world and there's some US citizen normally stuck in the conflict, the State Department makes damn sure it does its utmost best to go and extricate their citizen from the trouble and gets them home. So then, if an earthly nation like the United States does that, how much more the King of Heaven is watching over us, his citizens? He doesn't always put us out of danger. Sometimes he actually throws us into it. But his power is always available to keep us. His presence is always with us to guide us. His compassion is always to carry us. What an incredible thing it is to be a citizen of heaven. Now, I'd just like you to please give me a bit of license here, and I might get a bit emotional, because this is a personal story. I'm going to tell you about a couple, a young couple. They got married, and like every couple wants to, well, most normal couples, they want to have children. And Lucia and I found out very early in our, in our marriage that we can't have kids. And to this day, we can't have kids. But yet, uh, there's Christina and Thea. 
through a lot of prayer, and through a lot of scraping of the knees, and through a lot of trust in the Lord. The Lord provides. But as Satan would, he always comes to steal and destroy. So when, when our son was three years old, he was diagnosed with stage four Burkitt's lymphoma. It was in his bone marrow. So from the heights of elation, we were in the dog box. Through a lot of prayer and a lot of good, good, solid Christian friends, we made it through. It was a year of Lucia spending in hospital, basically three weeks out of every four, sitting at his bedside and not knowing whether he was going to make it or not. And in the process, you know what, you're in a, you're in a ward of, of young children with the same problem. And we lost a few. And we were just thankful that Theo was still around. And all through the grace of God. Now I'm going to share, and, and you'll understand what I mean when it's, when it's finished. I'm going to share something a friend of friend of Lucia's sent her while we were going through all of this. I didn't quite understand it until I read the whole thing through. But it says, Welcome to Holland by Emily Pearl Kingsley. I'm often asked to describe the experience of raising a child with a disability. To help people who have not shared this unique experience to understand it to imagine how it would feel. It's like this. When you're going to have a baby, it's like planning a fabulous vacation to Italy. You buy a bunch of guidebooks and you make all these wonderful plans. The Colosseum, the Michelangelo David, the gondolas in Venice. You may even brush up on some phrases in Italian. All the wrong ones, by the way. It's all so exciting. After months of eager anticipation, the day finally arrives. You pack your bags and off you go. Several hours later, the plane lands. The captain announces, welcome to Holland. Holland, you say? What do you mean? Holland? I didn't sign up for that. I signed up for Italy. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my life I've dreamt of going to Italy. But there's a change in the flight plan. We've landed in Holland. And that's where you must stay. The important thing is that they haven't taken you to a horrible, disgusting, filthy place full of pestilence, famine or disease. It's just a different place. So you must go out and buy new guidebooks and learn a whole new language. And they will meet you with a whole new group of people whom you've never met before. It's just a different place. It's slower paced than Italy, less flashy than Italy. But after you've been there a while and you catch your breath, you look around and you begin to notice that Holland has windmills. Holland has tulips. Holland has Rembrandt. 
But everyone you know is busy coming and going from Italy. And they're all bragging about what a wonderful time they're having. And for the rest of your life, you'll be saying, yes, that's where I was supposed to go. That's what I had planned. And then the pain of what will never go away. But if you spend a lifetime mourning the fact that you never went there, you may never be free to enjoy the very special, very lovely thing that Holland is. So yes, we were on our way to Italy. We were expecting a newborn boy. We got sidetracked and we went to Holland because he got Burkitt's lymphoma. So whatever the Lord, I'm just going to go back to what I said earlier. He doesn't always pull us out of danger. He sometimes sends us towards it. But his power, his power is always available to keep us. And that's what sustained us. His presence is always with us to guide us. His compassion is always there to carry us. What an incredible thing it is to be a citizen of heaven. We need to learn to trust him even through the fire. Now the third and final point of citizenship in heaven and the most important one is I have an amazing king. My citizenship in heaven is assured. I have a glorious, incredible king who is the king of heaven. What a privilege it is to be a citizen of heaven. I'm going to read Philippians 3 verse 20 again where Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven and he eagerly awaits a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes on to say that our bodies will be transformed by his power from lowly bodies to glorious bodies. Have you got Ezekiel there for me, Dougie? Ezekiel 37 verse 17 says, I will be their God and they will be my people. That's a sure thing, folks. That's a promise from the Lord our God. The next one, Dougie. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are my chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Facts. What do we believe about ourselves influences how we really are. When we trust in Christ, God adopts us into his family. We become his children. And if we don't behave like his children, it's because we fail to grasp that he did what he did when he redeemed us through the death and resurrection of his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you understand that, folks? He paid the ultimate price. So that he can freely give citizenship of heaven to us. And that's, 
goes back to what Frank said right up at the beginning. What God thinks of us, what we think of ourselves, and what the truth is, somewhere in between. So who does God say we are? Next one, Dougie. 2 Corinthians. So in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. When we trust Jesus... We become that brand new person. Emphasis on trust. Do we trust him enough? It means that we can experience freedom by living the life dedicated to serving God. I don't want to burst your bubble, but we were put on earth to serve God, not for God to serve us. I want to be this changed person, folks. And I'm sure every single one of you want to be that changed person too. And because of Jesus, God says, you are enough. You are enough. Nothing more, nothing less. Come as you are. And because Jesus says you are enough, know that you're loved. You have a purpose. And don't believe the lie. You do belong. You are his. Because of Jesus, I know that I'm enough. Let that sink in, folks. It's a simple statement, but it's profound. We are enough. Because he says so. Now, when I was going through the notes, I came across, don't worry, it's not Daniel again. I came across Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge. He was a pastor of prominent American, of an American, sorry, African-American congregation in San Diego, California, and he preached from about 1953 to 1993, I think. He was known for his fiery preaching, as all African-Americans normally are when they get up on the pulpit. And in 1976, he preached a sermon in Detroit, Michigan, which is entitled, That's My King. And after reading it, I almost started weeping. I just, just, just felt the Lord's presence. And I want to read it to you today, and I pray that I can do it justice. So it goes something like this. The Bible says he's the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He is the king of the ages. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. 
He's supreme. He's preeminent. That's my king. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempered and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleansed the lepers. He forgave sinners. He discharges the debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. Do you know him? My king is the key of all knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He is the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. Amen. I've got, I've been told I've got very little time, so I'm going to speed it up. If there's anyone here that doesn't feel that he's a citizen of heaven, and you feel he doesn't have the entry requirements, I'm telling you right now, they're simple. Just listen. Turn away from what you're doing your way. Acknowledge the king of the kingdom, that's Jesus, the king of my life, and ask the king for forgiveness. It's as simple as that. When you do this, we are putting our faith in him. Jesus loves me so much that he died on the cross to take all the punishment for my rebellion and sin against him. And even those that think they are citizens of heaven, most of us are so concerned about earthly things that we have very little appreciation for what an amazing thing it is that we are citizens of Christ's kingdom. Let's spend some time thanking him for his rescuing us into his kingdom. Not from, into. Into his kingdom. And committing ourselves to lives, to live lives as strangers on earth for his glory. Just before, when we were doing praise and worship, I just had a, you know when you do these classroom photographs and you've got these, all these people there, all these mugshots of people sitting all there and they're all like squashed together in the, in the picture. Every one of you are in the class of heavenly citizenship from day naught to 2023. You are identified, each and every one of you in that photograph. God knows you, every hair on your head. Start living as citizens of heaven today. So just a reminder, I'm going to finish off with this. We are his children. He is our father. We are his servants and he is our master. We are his saints, and he is our savior. And I am a citizen of heaven. He is my king. Amen. 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 Thanks, folks.
Thank you.